very interesting for me to uh, go through this study. Let me say a couple of things. First of all, I appreciate your prayers for my sister. It never was announced. It was simply put on the bulletin, and that was great. Many people would ask about her and pray about her, and I told her about that, and she was very encouraged by that. I appreciate that so much. And also, I appreciate those who have uh, turned out and helped us with the canvassing. I think at this point we're going to take a little break because November and December gets busy with holidays and being out of town, but Lord willing, we'll pick it up again. It was very encouraging. Marissa brought her friend Brooke, and uh, they went with us, and also we had Al, uh, uh, Elisa and Nolan uh, with us, and that was very encouraging. So appreciate that and uh, the good work that's being done. In our series from Elijah... Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and uh, so uh, we've been talking about the things we can learn from his life and the things that we read about in Scripture. And uh, some of the things we've talked about is that there's a price to pay to serve God and to work in his kingdom. We've talked about the fact that God uses people who are strong in the faith, as he did the widow. We talk about the fact that God asks us to do difficult and challenging things in life. That we must stand up for the truth. That we must challenge false prophets and false teachers and false religions. We talked about the efficacy and the power of prayer. We talked about the fact that enemies of the cross will threaten us and attempt to stop us. We talked about that we shouldn't allow ourselves to be manipulated by the enemies of the cross. And we talked about last week that God, when he determines the outcome of a battle, it's certain and it's sure and it cannot be changed. That we must obey God and we do that before we do others, before human authorities. And that God will forgive us and bless us when we humble ourselves and obey him. Turn your Bibles with me over in Second King, excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 22. And we will be there uh, this morning. You will remember that here Israel and Judah formed an alliance together to go to war against uh, Aram and to take back Ramoth Gilead, a city that belonged to Israel. Well, remember, Israel had defeated Aram twice in 1 Kings chapter 21, just the chapter before this. Now it's three years later and they go to war again against them. But... Ahab this time inquired of his 400 false prophets as to whether they should go up. This time Ahab obeyed the false prophets rather than the prophet of God. This time he did the will of the false prophets and not the will of God. Jehoshaphat, here as king of Judah, he insisted though that they inquire of a prophet of the Lord, Micaiah. And Micaiah told them that the Lord had put a deceiving spirit in Ahab's prophets so that they would lie. And the truth was that Ahab would lose the battle and would not return alive. As a result of this unfavorable prophecy, Ahab threw the prophet of God into prison with minimal provisions with just bread and water. Ahab did not listen to the prophet of God, but listened to his 400 false prophets. He went to war against Aram. He disobeyed God. He was punished for that. He did not return back alive. 
Alan Michaels is going to be reading for us in our reading this morning. And Alan, if you'll come up and read 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 through 40, and then we'll make some application. 1 Kings chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Now three years had passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do not know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, but we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the Lord, word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up for the Lord, will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here, that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat on each throne at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenaanah, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied, so saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets are with one accord, encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to them, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by, and on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So in one manner, and another spoke in that manner. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenaanah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek. And said, Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go for me to speak to you? 
And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. So the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the thirty-two captains of his chariot, saying, Fight with no one great or small, but only with the king of Israel. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they had turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So, that he, so he said to his, the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians, and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, Every man to his city, and every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up the blood while the harlots bathed, according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he built, and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers. Then Isaiah, his son, reigned in his place. Thank you, Alan. I hope you all enjoy, as we've gone through this series, reading from the Word of God and some passages we don't get to look at very often. The first point I want to make from this chapter in the Bible is that we must love the truth to be saved. Ahab was not committed to the truth. He was not committed to know it and to obey it at any cost, so he sinned against God and he paid the punishment of death. Go with me over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. We must be committed to the truth. And Ahab was not. He was committed to his 400 false prophets that, that he had in his, very own, in his own, very own land. He was committed to them, but not to God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, uh, and, and just sort of jump in the middle of that, verse 10. Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be Saved, And we'll talk about the rest of this context in just a moment. But I want us to notice that we must love the truth. And the word for love here is agape, is not that emotion, emotional type love. It is the commitment. We must be committed. We must make the commitment, the dedication within our mind that we are going to obey the truth no matter what the cost may be. Now, I want you to notice that to... To love the truth as to be saved, we must obey the gospel. These things are intertwined together. Notice with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 now. Go back one chapter. 
chapter 1 and beginning in verse 7. Now, just jumping in the middle of things here, verse 7. And to give relief to those who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Now, so this is when Jesus comes back with his angels in flaming fire. What's going to happen? Verse 8. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So to love the truth is to obey the gospel. One who is not obeying the gospel does not love the truth. And one who loves the truth is obeying the gospel. Now I want you to notice, go one more scripture with me to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. 1 John chapter 5. We must love God. And when we love God, we will keep his commandments. We will obey his commandments. So the point I want to make here is that loving the truth begins with loving God. If we love God, we will love the truth, we'll love his word, and therefore we will obey it. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God that we keep his commands, commandments. So one who is not keeping the commandments of God does not love God. One who is not keeping the commandments of God does not love the truth because he does not love God. So we must love the truth because we love God and then we'll be saved because we keep his commandments. Now I want us to notice this. Go back with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If we do not love the truth, we will believe a lie. Now this is the way God has, God has established things. He set things up. He's created the world. It's an environment such that if we do not love the truth because we love God, if we do not love the truth, we are going to believe a lie. Notice with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. So we're going to get more of the context. And I wish we had time to get even more of the context. It's very involved here. But just, again, jumping in the middle of things, but, but a little bit broader with our context. Verse 9. That is, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. So this that's coming, it's, it's according to Satan and his activity, the things that Satan are doing with all power and signs and false wonders. Now these are the fake miracles or the false miracles of like Simon the sorcerer who had convinced people that he was the great power of God. Or of Elimus who was, who was making crooked the straight path of the Lord so that one would not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was in according to the activity, the working of Satan. Now verse 10. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they do not receive the love of the truth as to be saved, for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false or believe a lie in order that they may be judged who did not receive, did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. So if we do not love the truth, if we're not committed to the truth, to obey the truth because we love God, we're going to believe one of these lies out here. 
So our commitment must be to God and must be to the truth and must be to his word or we're going to believe one of these lies. Ahab was not committed to God and he was not committed to the truth and so he believed a lie. He believed the deluding influence that God allowed to come to these false prophets and he believed it because he was not committed to God and the truth. There's one other just passing point I would like to make. If you'll turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 with me for just a second. And this is within the text of 1 Kings chapter 22, but a little bit off the path of the lesson today. When Micaiah spoke the truth of God, now he was against these 400 false prophets, one man standing alone amongst 400 we couldn't get 400 in this building. And this is one man against the 400 false prophets. And he spoke the truth. He was struck by Zedekiah and imprisoned by Ahab because he simply spoke the truth. I want you to notice that when he was struck on the cheek that he did not take his own revenge. He took it and he did not retaliate. In Romans chapter 12, we are not to take our own revenge, but to repay evil with good. We talked a little bit in the Bible class with the young adults today about how we teach other people. And part of that is making a defense. And we talked about some areas in which we make a defense and the reaction of people, and that reaction usually is not favorable. And so many times we're going to suffer, we're going to be persecuted, maybe not physically struck, but struck in other ways, and we cannot take our own revenge, but repay evil with good. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of, uh, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we're going to fa be faced with these situations as we speak the truth in love. And people are going to do things to us. They're going to lash out and they're going to do things. And yet we are not to take revenge ourselves, but we are to repay evil with good. We must love the truth because we love God, or we will believe a lie, and as a result of that, we'll lose our souls. Now, go in your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1. As we begin wrapping up in the life of Elijah, we read about him in 2 Kings, the first two chapters, and let's talk just a moment about chapter 1, 2 Kings chapter 1, and we'll, we'll read verses 1 through 17 in just a moment. Now here, Ahaziah, Ahab's son became king because, remember, Ahab was killed in battle because he went into the battle against the word of the Lord, believing the false prophets, 
And as the prophet of God had prophesied, he did not return alive. So he died in the battle. Now his son Ahaziah takes the throne and, and, and he was king over Israel for less than two years. He followed the way of his, of his father. And Ahaz, Ahaziah came about, fell through the lattice of his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, and he became ill as a result of that. So now he sends messengers to inquire, not as his father did to the false prophets there in Israel, but to a pagan deity of the Philistines. So he's one step further even than his father. So he sent messengers to inquire of, Baal, uh, of Beelzebub, the Philistine god in Ekron, as to whether or not he would recover. On the way, now Elijah meets him and uh, uh, meets the messengers of Ahaziah and speaks the word to them and tells them to return back to the king and to tell him that he would not recover because he had inquired of this pagan deity, Beelzebub, rather than the Lord. Well, Ahaziah sends now a captain of 50 with his 50. So here you've got a small army coming to Elijah. And they call for Elijah to come. Now why do you think Ahaziah would send a small army to, to ask Elijah to come? Well, we don't know. Uh, maybe it was to force him to try to do that. Maybe it was try to get him to change his mind. Maybe it was to try to scare him, or maybe it was try, to try and impress him, but it didn't work. Fire came down from heaven and consumed all of them. So Ahaziah sends another captain with his 50, another small army to Elijah to call him to come, and fire comes down again and consumes them too. So Ahaziah sends a third captain with his 50. Now how would you like to be the guy? who's sent now on the third time. You know what's happened the first two times, and here you are sent once again. But this fellow was smarter than the others. He humbled himself, and he beseeched Elijah, and Elijah went with them according to the word of the Lord, and he simply reiterated the word of God to him that the king would die. Ahaziah died and reigned less than two years on the throne of Israel. So let's read these verses and then make a little application. Alan, if you'll come and read 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. 2 Kings 1, starting at verse 1. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But... But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. And when the messengers returned to him, he said, Why have you come back? So they said to him, A man came up to meet us, and said, Go to us, return to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And he said to them, What kind of man was it 
who came to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, A hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of fifty with his fifty men. So he went up to him, and there he was sitting on top of a hill, and he spoke to him, Man of God, the king has said, Come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of fifty, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And fire came down and consumed him and his fifty. Then he sent him another captain of fifty with his fifty men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus says the king, Come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again he sent a third captain of fifty with his fifty men, and the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him. And he said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of fifties with their fifties. But let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with them, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Isaiah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah has spoken. Because he has no son, Jeroam became king in his place in the second year of Jeroam, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Just a few points that I think we can make with, with this reading. As we'd already talked about, we must love the truth because we love God. If we do not, we'll believe a lie. Also, we should remember that there is only one God and we must obey him to be saved. Obeying another God or religion other than that of Jehovah ends in death. There are several passages we could read, such as Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. There's one God, one Lord, one church, one faith, one baptism. John 14, 6, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that there's only one way to the Father. Hebrews 5, verse 9, that we must obey Jesus and his word to be saved. Acts chapter 24, verses 14 and 22, the way of Jesus is the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 5, verse 23, that Jesus is Savior of the body. But turn with me over to Revelation chapter 2, and, and I want us to notice what Jesus says here to a church that is involved with, with, with other religious doctrines. And, and I want us to look. Here is Jesus in heaven sending this message to a church that's involved in other religious doctrines that some have departed from his way and his doctrine in Revelation chapter 2. In verse 14, verse 14, this is the church at Pergamum. And I have a few things against you because you, uh, be, uh, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans, Therefore, repent, 
or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. You see, Jesus, and Jesus is in heaven. He's saying, look, you have those here who are keeping these false doctrines. And he says, just as Balaam taught Balak to put this stumbling block, you do so with that of the Nicolaitans, which was a Gnostic sect which is the mother of denominationalism today. And he says, I will come and make war. They are at war with Jesus Christ. And if we depart from the truth, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, we too will be at war with the Lord. God's word given to us by Jesus Christ in these last days, it is not going to change. One other scripture on this point. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 13. And we can take all that the Lord has said, and we know that it is not going to change. In Hebrews 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by various and strange teachings. Jesus' word is not going to change. There's not going to be another revelation. There's not going to be another Lord that comes down and delivers another word. It's never going to change. Therefore, knowing this, do not be carried away by strange teachings and doctrines. The end of that will be making war with the Lord Almighty from heaven. Obeying another God or another religion than Jehovah ends in death. And that certainly was the case with Ahaziah. His life ended in death. Well, there's one more point, and I know our time is short. There's one more point that, that I would like for us to make. If you'll go back with me to 2 Kings and now chapter 2. And, and this ends the life. Here we see the end of the life of Elijah as we end our series. And the point I would like to make from this is that the next generation must be ready to lead. All of us, as we grow and mature as Christians, as we, as we take leadership roles in the Lord's church, if we're blessed to live long enough, we must prepare the next generation to lead, to take our place. And to me, that is one of the most pressing things we have as we see, this was the case, and, and Alan, we won't take time to read this because my time is already up. That it came time for Elijah to be lifted up and translated into heaven. He was done so by angels who came down in a chariot of fire, if you can imagine seeing that scene. Elisha refused to leave Elijah as he went from place to place getting ready to depart from this life. He refused to depart from Elijah until the day that he was lifted up. About the time when Elijah was to be lifted up, he asked Elijah, what can he do for him? He asked for a double portion of his spirits. And Elijah said, if you see me when I, when I depart, then it shall be that you'll have the double portion. While Elijah was going up into heaven, his mantle fell. His cloak, it's a large overgarment, fell to the earth, and Elijah, Elisha put it on. And then he did miracles that proved he had this double portion. He parted the Jordan River, just as Elijah had done 
just a little while before that. He purified the waters at Jericho and cursed 42 lads who were making fun of his baldness. And they were torn up by bears. And i got to get that one in there. The, the, you know, the story here is Elisha. And there's a good lesson there. If you're around guys making fun of a bald person, get away from them quick. They can be eaten by bears. Or if you're one of those guys making fun of a bald person, look out, you might be eaten by bears. So don't ever do that. Don't, I'm just joking. I see the young looks on the expressions down here, the young folks. No, I'm just joking about that. You won't be eaten by bears. But that's what happened. He showed these miracles that he had this double portion. We must prepare future generations to lead. Elisha was Elijah's assistant for many years. Joshua was Moses' assistant for many years. Jesus was trained by his parents when he was young. The apostles were trained three and a half years. Timothy and Titus were trained by Paul we here in this congregation, we train teachers with our co-teacher training program and our preaching training program. And parents and Bible teachers are training young folks. Let's go over to just two scriptures very quickly. I know my time is out. Go with me over to Titus chapter 2. Just two scriptures really quickly. Titus chapter 2. And I want us to notice here that part of the work of the older is to be training the younger. Titus chapter 2 and starting in verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to treat, to teach, to train the young women. And go with me over to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. I don't want us to, to forget this. 1 Peter chapter 5. And verse 5, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. So the older are teaching the younger. And this is so important for us to do. Let me ask you this. Why does it seem that there are so many congregations with older men, but the congregation is without elders overseeing the congregation. Why is that? As I asked the question last Sunday morning, why is it in some congregations you go and you visit and you hear them bemoan the fact that generations of young people have departed from the faith and when they became older they did not return? Why? Let me submit to you it is because in some congregations the older are not training the younger. And generations go by and basic fundamental precepts are not taught and are not learned and things are not memorized. I've told you before, I wish I had grown up in a congregation where there was a co-teaching program so that I could learn to become a teacher. The first time I ever taught, I was just thrown right into the middle of it with no training whatsoever. And I wish I'd grown up in a congregation where they were canvassing neighborhoods and young people could go out and learn how to talk to other people and to meet other people and to invite other people to church. I wish I had grown up in those situations, but I had not. And I can't do anything about that, but we can do something about our situation and training ourselves and the young people here because one day us older people will be gone.
And if we do not train the younger, there will be no one to take our place. And so as I've emphasized with the older, it's our responsibility to teach and to train and to nurture in all of our relationships. But younger people, it is your responsibility to learn and to grow and to mature and get ready to be the leaders. Because just as Elisha, when it came time, it was time for him to take the lead. Just like with Joshua, when it came time, it was time for him to take the lead. Elisha went to heaven and then Moses died. Young people, it's your responsibility to learn, to train yourselves to lead. Because one day you'll be in the place of the older ones and it will be your responsibility. And you will have that weight of responsibility to lead a group faithfully in the way of the Lord and to train another generation after you. I've enjoyed the series so much, I hope you have too. We must love the truth. We love the truth because we love God. And because we love God and the truth, we obey the word. We do not trust in other gods or other religions. We trust simply in our God, Jehovah, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his word, and do those things. And we are training the next generations to come up behind us. And you younger ones, you are learning. You are practicing. You are getting ready to lead because one day, us older ones, we will all die and we'll leave you behind in our place. We'll extend the gospel invitation. Now, if you get your songbook out, who at my door is standing? If you're not a Christian this morning, what must you do to be saved? Simply obey Jesus Christ, Believing in him, repenting of your sins, that's just changing your mind not to do those things that are wrong any longer, but those things that are right. Make your confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and be baptized for the remission of your sins. You'll be washed in the blood of the Lamb, added to the Lord's church, born again and made a new creature as you begin your new life as a child of God. If we can help you at all this morning, won't you step to the front now as we stand and sing?